When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Yes, indeed. Hello, everyone. I'm John Lund alongside Al Renato, a.k.a. as New York sports radio fans know him, the great Al from White Plains. And this is New Report, Old Report, here on Tuesday, August 6th. From 8 to 9 Eastern Time, live on Sports Radio America. If you missed the live show, you can catch the replay all week, also at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, or find the show as bonus content under the Bridge Sports Podcast, which you can find by searching for the Bridge Sports Podcast on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, as well as at LondonBridge.com. Again, if you want to find this show, new report, old report, search the Bridge Sports Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or at London Bridge. If you want to interact with the show, you can text in a question, comment, or complaint to 929-274-3437, or if you're brave enough, leave a voicemail with the same, and we'll play what you have to say on air, again by calling 929-274-3437. This week, it's time to talk some baseball, and will Tom Brady just go away? Check your sources, we're off. Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that was a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Or we don't know. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. Several weeks now, as we're in a little summer funk. Some weeks on, some weeks off. Vacations, excitement, beach days, ball games. All sorts of things on the agenda are keeping us busy. But we are back to our loyal fans who I'm sure have been clamoring for our commentary on the world of sports, which we were talking just before we got on here. You know, it might be time as we approach episode 50 here, not to say that we haven't talked baseball for 50 episodes, but we're getting to that point of the year where the NFL's just thinking about picking up steam. The NBA has finally cooled down and we could take our talents and looks to the diamond and get a pretty okay idea on where some things stand, especially now after the trade deadline, which ended last week. Some surprises. Some teams wait right to the buzzer to make moves. Looking at you, the Houston Astros, who get yet another pitcher at the deadline to go along with their fantastic starting pitching staff. That could pose problems. Teams and fans waiting by the edge of their seats, hoping to maybe put a trade together, did not. The shocks of the trade deadline, the Mets make big moves, the Reds make big moves. Two teams that I don't think a lot of people thought would need to make moves, but they shook things up early, the Astros shook things up late. And for you and I, Yankees and Cardinals fans respectively, our teams sit at home and do nothing and we will now have to let it ride through October, through September, cross our fingers, that'll be good enough to see what's going to happen and what's in store for the postseason. Johnny, it's great to be back. As new report, old report, hits the diamond. Uh, and obviously, the big talk all, all last week leading up to, including the trade down, deadline, was who's going to do what, who's going to wind up where. There was not a lot of action. You've got 
closer to the deadline. Biggest deal, of course, was Marcus Stroman going not to the Yankees, but to the Mets for two uh, middling, I would say, pitching prospects. Uh, a high draft pick who is uh, recovering from Tommy John and a, a pitcher coming out of uh, performing well in AAA, but neither of these you know, were top 100 um, prospects in terms of the overall uh, rankings. They were two of the Mets' top five prospects, I believe, two of, the, two of their top five, showing two of their top ten. Uh, so that's what Marcus Stroman was had for. You wonder what would be the next shoe that would drop. Uh, it was not with the Yankees. It, of course, was not with my hideous Cardinals. Incredibly quiet front office. Crickets in Bush Stadium. But it was the biggest deal of all made by the champs from two years ago as the Dodgers made a couple of very minor moves. They did not go out and get the stud left-handed relievers. Many thought they would. Some said, give up whatever you have to give up. To get the lefty from the Pirates, they said, uh-uh, we're not going to do that. Instead, they made a minor deal with the Cardinals. They called up one of their big-time prospects who may look to fill out a bullpen role along with a couple of their current starters. And they simply said, whatever the price was that Pittsburgh was asking for, uh, which may have been their prize second baseman prospect, the practical base price is simply too much, and they did not pull the trigger. But one team that did pull the trigger are the old Colt 45s, the Astros from Houston, as they went out and got a third terrific starting pitcher to go with their great one-two combo of Justin Verlander and free agent to be Gary Cole. And they had Zach Greinke. They gave up a great deal. For Greinke, they gave up four very big-time prospects. Neither, however, are their top two. And they didn't take all the money. Arizona agreed to part with, I believe, about uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of, I think, $24 million or so of the uh, two years left and change of Zach Greinke, who was about $65 million over two years. I thought they were getting a ballpark for around $45, $46 million, uh, for the balance of the two full years, which is a pretty good salary for a pitcher of his caliber. And he goes right into uh, an ace, goes into the free hole for the Astros, and in my mind, clearly makes them uh, the team to beat in the American League, and in my mind, the team to beat in the major leagues, uh, if you're going to play odds to win the World Series. They have a textbook go in the American League, so absolutely. Because they've got to deal with the Yankees. They've got to deal with the Twins and their home run record hitting pace. They've got to deal with the look, don't look now, but here come the Indians again, who dealt pitching, Trevor Bauer, which you mentioned, to the Reds, shockingly, in exchange for power. Puig and the big burly outfielder from the Padres have now lengthened their lineup. So I thought they got rarely do you see see a team trade pitching. And in this scenario, arguably their best pitcher in terms of pitchers who are active right now, because Corey Kluber is still recovering and on the DL. Looks like you will be back shortly. But they trade 
their best pitcher, Trevor Bauer, with a year-plus remaining uh, before he becomes an unrestricted free agent, to the Reds in a three-way deal, and they get power in the outfield, help which they desperately needed that likes in their lineup, and they are now right back in the mix, the Indians, uh, as full-blown contenders for the American League pennant. So the American League will be a war. The American League is the NBA West. The American League is going to be a very, very difficult road to hell. Now, that's not to downplay the fact that the National League is loaded with passes. The Braves are really good. They got better by adding to their relief core. Uh, the Cubs got better by going out and getting Nick Castellanos from the Tigers. The Phillies got better uh, by adding Corey Dickerson from the Pirates. Uh, the Dodgers didn't have to do anything to remain the number one seed in the National League. They didn't. Uh, they are locked up in the West. And my Cardinals uh, did absolutely nothing as they watched the Pirates, usually they watched the Phillies and the Cubs help themselves immensely, two teams that they're battling for in a wild card and one, of course, which they're battling for the division. Cardinals needed a starter. They didn't get one. They needed outfield bats. They didn't get it. So John Masalek is being ripped to shreds by yours truly and any other Cardinal fan who cares, and rightfully so. So obviously the talk in New York was the Yankees didn't do anything, but remember the Yankees, like the Dodgers, don't have to do anything vis-a-vis their playoff eligibility or their division crown, they were looking to do something because of the petrified nature of the Yankee fans after the three or four that they lost to Boston, which they quickly avenged because the Red Sox then got swept by Tampa and then came here and got blown out of the Yankee Stadium fourth straight. So the division is safe for the Yankees. It's just a question of how will they compete in the American League against the Indians, the Twins, and the juggernaut that is the Houston Astros. The only thing I can think of from where Brian Cashman might have been coming from is he looked at the starting pitching for the New York Yankees and said, one arm's not going to fix this at this point in the season when everyone on the team had at least a four-point-plus ERA. One more arm isn't going to change that. He's still going to need the starting staff as a whole to change things around and be the pitchers that he hoped they would be when he signed several of them, including J.A. Happ and Paxton, and they were great against the Red Sox. Happ is still three to four runs a game, but with the Yankees lineup mostly healthy, that's manageable. So that's, I think, what he might have thought, like, okay, let's not just bring in someone to bring in someone because one arm's not going to fix this thing. It has to be a collective effort, and of late it has been, shockingly enough, and it came against the Boston Red Sox, as you mentioned, just a week removed after getting embarrassed in Boston. Couldn't wait to get out of there. They come home and cruise past the Boston Red Sox, which is something that you can't often say. I was a little disappointed in that something in me, maybe as an old pitcher or maybe as a you sort of love these players when they're on your team, but you hate them when they're not. I don't hate Stroman's quote-unquote antics when he pitches, how excited he'll get after a strikeout or he'll yell into the, his team's dugout to try to amp them up. 
Trevor Bauer the same way, and I know he can be a head case. I know he threw the ball into center field when he was going to get taken out by Terry Francona. I understand all of that. But there is also something in certain moments when a pitcher can show emotion, it can get the team a little bit amped up. And not to say the Yankees' offense needs that. They've proven that they're well okay. They can score six, seven runs on a given night. But as a fan, sometimes you like to see that. And and I think the last pitcher that really did that for the Yankees, he can't so much anymore because he can't really make it out of the fourth inning, was CeCe Sabathia. He would give you that fist pump, that roar, yelling at the batters, get out of my box. He gets you amped up watching it at home, and he does it for the team that he's playing on. So in not getting those guys we kind of missed out on maybe having that villain-type pitcher that could lead you in a postseason run. Now, will it prove that it won't matter? They'll be fine? Perhaps. I think the second thing that, if you're a Yankees fan, you wish they did, if you didn't land a pitcher of worth, make sure the Houston Astros don't land a pitcher of worth. And they got the guy that the Yankees faced as the trade line, Trade deadline wound to four o'clock. They get Zach Greinke at the gun, who they had just beaten, not by much. He pitched a great game against the Yankees. They watch that guy go out and have a really great game, and then he gets traded to Houston. So now you're kind of thinking as a fan, so we're going to have to hope we don't face Houston in the first round of the postseason, then hope whoever faces them beats them, and you don't have to play them at all. One of those types of scenarios. And I know that they took them right to the end of the series in the ALCS not too long ago. But that pitching staff, if it's on, if it's hot, even with that Yankees offense, that's going to be something that's, that's fear, feared at least when they're in Houston. Because for whatever reason, when the Astros came to Yankee Stadium in the postseason, they, they weren't able to play well. So you hope that that happens. You hope you can somehow get home field advantage and give yourself an upper hand in that aspect. But it is going to be a double take, a little frightening when the lineup cards come out come postseason and they put that starting roster for the pitching staff on paper and you go, oh, God, who's going to match up with these guys? Now they're waiting on Severino to come back, and I think they're going to use that as the quote-unquote trade. I didn't really want them to do that. It doesn't seem like that ever works where you hope that a guy that's injured is your trade because he happens to come back around that time. Same with Dylan Batances in the bullpen. I didn't like them to lean on that and use it as a crutch, but that'll be there. You cross your fingers that he can come back healthy because that's always been a question mark with Severino's arm. The same thing for Patances if he'll find his control. So right now, things are going great for the Yankees, but you're starting to slowly look down the line a little bit and sort of see how the hourglass is going to slowly, slowly turn and what's going to need to happen from that Yankees rotation and roster. And it's, it's up in the air right now, Al. It, it, there's, there's time now to get just slightly nervous, not necessarily about the regular season and what's to come next. Well, I, I think the thing you have to remember with the Yankees rotation or lack thereof, but you said one arm wasn't going to fix it. Well, one arm would have made a huge difference if there was the one arm to be had. Because the Yankees don't have what every other team in the playoff mix has. They don't have an ace. Certainly without Severino, they don't have an ace. 
they have middle of the road starters. And was there an ace to be had? Zach Greinke was had. However, Zach no trade clause. The Yankees were on it. He has never, I think, impressed anyone as a New York kind of guy. I don't think there was any way he was coming to New York. I don't think there was any way the Yankees would have traded for anyone where they would have had to take on that kind of money. Even if Arizona had paid some of it. And they got a treasure trove from the Astros, and the Yankees were not willing to part with a treasure trove and take on that kind of money. So who does that leave? Who is a lockdown number one? Even Greggy is not that anymore. So who was out there? Bauer's not been pitching that well. You've only got him for a year and change. Baumgartner didn't get moved. Syndergaard didn't get moved. Was the price simply too high? We don't know. Not that you would ever think the Yankees and the Mets would make a deal. Syndergaard is pitching very well right now since the All-Star break and since no trade. Baumgartner's been pitching better, but he's not a nine-inning pitcher anymore. He's not a eight innings, four hits, 10 Ks anymore. He hasn't been for a couple of years, certainly since for the bike accident. He's not now. So what would you have had to give up for him? I'm sure there were talks. We don't know what they were. Were they simply asking too much? The bottom line for the Yankees is they're going to have to hit and relief pitch their way throughout the postseason. We know they can hit. Will some of their stars and quasi-stars, if you want to go look boy and quasi-stars, come back and get healthy in time for the last year. see very little, obviously, of the big man who has been out virtually all year long uh, with either it's a knee or it's a groin or it's you know, a ribcage muscle. The second he's back, he's gone again. Judge is back, looks healthy, playing well. You really have to be careful, I think, with him because, to me, it's vitally important that they have him healthy for the playoffs. I simply don't know what you're going to get with Stan. Are you going to get him back healthy in time for the playoffs? And if you do, will he go down again? Is it just going to be one of those lost years for Giancarlo Stan? Well, it's just one where you look at you see 37 games, what happened? You know, he didn't break a leg. He didn't rip up a knee. He didn't break a wrist. But it's just been one nagging injury after another. And these haven't been, you know, trips to the 10-day IL. These have been for, you know, four, six, eight weeks, two months at a time. LeMahieu has been your super-duper star. I thought it was a ridiculous signing. I was proved dead wrong. He went from one hitter's park to another. It has worked out with him playing second and him playing third and playing first and him de-aging because of the injuries to pretty much everyone else in that infield at times, all of whom are back except for the, you know, the young third baseman who's out for the year. So he's fit in perfectly and is clearly the Yankee MVP and a top five AL MVP candidate. You need to get the catcher back. 
need to get the catcher back healthy for the postseason to lengthen the lineup and to put fear in the hearts of opposing pitching staffs. You need to really find a way to get your starters as you get towards the postseason much more apt to get to that middle aspect of the game, to get to Adebayo, to get the rest of that crew before you get to the two big boys. Um, you know, the two South for the eighth and ninth. Is your big right-handed reliever going to be a factor? Because he would be a huge shot in the arm, further shortening the job of Yankee starters. Because when you throw Batanzas into the mix and his lights out stuff, you lock down another in. That could be what they're aiming towards. So the bottom line is the middling arms that were out there, the Strowmans of the world, um, you know, were the, the wheelers of the world. Were, there any be- were, were they any better than what they had currently in the rotation, plus what they would have had to give up to get them? Probably a nominal improvement, if at all. Not the kind of improvement that's going to make you better for the postseason, which is what you're looking to do. You're not looking to get better for the regular season. You're looking to make a deal for the postseason. People were panic-stricken because they thought all of a sudden they could be caught by the Red Sox, which clearly is not happening. The question was, could they do something to make themselves better from a starting pitching standpoint in the postseason? I really don't think they could have. I don't think Trevor Bauer, for me, lights the lamp. I like him. I don't love him. To me, he's not a one. The Yankees don't have a one. I don't think there was a one to be had. Zach Greinke was a one for the Diamondbacks. He's a three for the Astros, which is why they're the team. Because the Yankees absolutely water under the bridge, missed the boat, as I've said now for two years, when they did not pull the trigger on Garrett Cole. That was the trade the Yankees should have made. They had prospects to burn. That was the guy. That was the time. Perfect new for New York. A bulldog. A hard thrower. A bat miss, which they have plenty of on their staff, but none of them are starters. Their bat missers all come out of the pen. Swing and miss stuff is all the second half of the game. They don't have a lot of swing and miss stuff starting games. And the Astros have got two top line, the best one-two swing and miss punch combo in baseball, with all due respect to Max Scherzer and Strasburg, because Max Scherzer is nicked up right now. When Max Scherzer is healthy, you can make an argument that they one-two is as good as any. Uh, and I could say that after I saw the way Strasburg pitched against the Cubs a year and a half ago in the postseason, where he pitched that brilliant postseason game and completely shut the Cubs down um, with uh, 14, 15 strikeouts. I forget how many, but it was upwards of that amount. So he showed me that he can get it done in the postseason. Um, but Supermax is, is, is bagged up right now. With the back, the shoulder, we're not quite sure what it is or, or when he will be back to 100%. So you've got to say right now, that the Astros have got the best one-two punch, with all due respect to the Dodgers as well. Kershaw, Rayo, Gilbert, all terrific. But this is the best one-two punch in the sport. And they've added 
some backup to that one-two, and then they go out and they get Aaron Sanchez uh, to make matters better for them, worse for everybody else, because they had a fourth starter uh, for when the series gets to be four and a seven, if they need the extra guy. So to me, the Astros were clearly the biggest winner of this trade deadline. As I said, the Braves did a really solid job two months in their bullpen, which was desperately needed. But this was all about the Houston Astros readying themselves for a postseason run and into the next couple of years to have a full-blown chance uh, to grab that brass ring again. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report, here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. And Aaron Sanchez, who was oh for months, comes to the Astros, goes six innings of no-hit ball. The team combined throws a no-hitter in his debut for the team. Great. <laughs> Wonderful to see if you're looking for any holes in the Astros as they move forward. And, and it's been incredible to watch how they've handled the past five or six years or however long it's been where they just completely go for broke, build up their farm system, luck out with a couple draft picks along the way. Obviously, they did have to pan out while they were throwing away seasons. Win the World Series, get to the World Series, do the World Series thing. Now they have prospects back that they can give away to help them get back into the fall classic it's incredible that they're able to be a world series contender now without even blinking an eye when years ago they were somewhat the laughing stock of the american league west well this is the, this is the genius that is jeff Lou jeff Ludow, for those who don't know it out there the new report, the old report, Jeff Lunau was weaned in the Cardinal organization. Uh, he was, excuse me, John Mazzaleck's assistant uh, in the Cardinal front office. And he took the Astros general manager's job. And it's no coincidence that since he has left, the Cardinals have not made the postseason. And the Cardinals have made poor deal after poor deal when it comes to trades. They have misevaluated their own talent. They have traded their own talent and gotten little if nothing in return. They have traded for talent that has not panned out. They have signed talent that has not worked out. That has basically been a nightmare. And really, every corner, every turn for John Mazzaliak since his top flight assistant, Jeff Lunau, left for Houston. The hacking scandal uh, that cost a member of the Cardinal front office his job and actually some time in prison. So uh, the Astros are built for now. The Astros are built for the future because they have young stars. They have old stars. Uh, they bring in Zach Greinke to protect against Garrett Cole in all probability leaving next year in free agency. We don't know for sure that he's going to go, but he's a California guy. So chances are Dodgers, Giants, Angels, his brother-in-law uh, you know, plays for the Giants, which is uh, Brandon Crawford. So... We have no idea where he's going to wind up, but chances are it won't be Houston. So they prepare for that by going up and getting cranky. Who is, you know, got two solid years left over and above what they give him, what he gives you this year. And is, look, he's a professional pitcher. He doesn't have the kind of stuff he had 10 years ago, but he still goes deep in the games. He still has a whip of under one. 
and lo and behold, there are three starting pitchers in the major leagues who have whips of under one, and guess what? They are the one, two, and three in the Houston Astros starting rotation. And folks, that was Talking Baseball on New Report, Old Report. We've waited, but it was time. Now that you're all caught up, NFL Hall of Fame induction ceremony 2019 this past weekend. Does that is Tony, pique your is interest? Tony Gonzalez, is Tony Gonzalez's speech still going on? <laughs> I thought you were going to say Ed Reed. I think everybody there, just about, I, I'd say half, maybe more than half, came close to breaking, if not setting, the new record for longest speeches. Does this interest you? Do you sit down for however many hours it is and watch the speeches, or is it something you just catch maybe the night after or the morning after to see what they had to say? Night after, night of, a few moments here and there, trips and grabs. Uh, it's gotten to be far too long-winded. It's gotten to be, at times, comical. Uh, it's just, and it, it's, it's not their fault. It's their moment. I am not in any way, shape, or form looking to take away from their moment. But it's become so long-winded, you know, with the speeches and everything written out and the constant tears and the references to every member of the family. You know, Tony Gonzalez, I, I, you know, to his kids, I, I, I left each of you an envelope this morning, yada, yada, yada. You know, Tony, uh, it, it, it's not like you've been laboring you know, 25 years like Johnny Robinson to get in the Hall of Fame. You retired 12 seconds ago. All right, you're working in TV, making a fortune. And do me a favor, eat something. You didn't look good. Lost way too much weight. Where's the Tony Gonzalez slash Rick Fox lookalike that I've that known to, to grow up? Tony looks like he dropped 50 pounds. He didn't have 50. Crocs one thing. Tony needs to eat something. But they're too long. They're too long-winded. They're perpetual. And the other thing is 27 guys going to the Hall of Fame. It's too many guys. The highlight for me is the Ed Reed bust. The coolest bust in the history of the Hall of Fame. Complete with the hair. That was the highlight for me. And I was very happy that Johnny Robinson finally got in. I know, folks, this is the old report portion of the program. So bear with me. Johnny Robinson was a... Terrific safety from the AFL. That stands for the American Football League. Look it up. Which started in the early 60s and resulted in the merger with what you folks all know as the NFL and became the NFL. And played for the Kansas City Chiefs back in the days when there was the first world championship. The American Football League, National Football League, World Championship, 1966 season, Kansas City Chiefs, Green Bay Packers. Johnny Robinson was on that team, and then three years later was the KG veteran safety on the Kansas City Chiefs team after the merger that pummeled the Minnesota Vikings in their first Super Bowl loss, absolutely obliterated them 23-7 when the Vikings were a huge favorite. Johnny Robinson was the KG uh, free safety on that team. Wonderful player. And a lot of people don't talk about it because it's 50 years ago now. But that was, in my mind, in all the years that I have watched football, 
one of the three slash four greatest single year Super Bowl defenses I have ever seen from the combination of old school four three, massive front four, tremendous trio of linebackers, and a great secondary. Johnny Robinson was in the middle of that secondary, um, a great ball hawk, and he finally got into the Hall of Fame long overdue, along with Tony Gonzalez, great Kansas City Chief. But that's what I was happy to say. And a lot of people, most people don't know who he is, don't even know about that Kansas City Chiefs team. Look it up. You will see a slew of Hall of Famers on that defense, from Buck Buchanan to Curly Culp to Willie Lanier to Emmett Thomas to now Johnny Robinson, uh, all of whom played a huge role in the original AFL, all played during the merger, and all were dominant that day when Peg Stram's Kansas City Chiefs mauled the Minnesota Vikings 23-7. Very happy for the old cage, Johnny Robinson. And he was able to live to see it because it was long overdue. Yeah, I'm raising my hand. I, I couldn't tell you anything about him. So thank you for that update because uh, that was helpful. I, as a Broncos fan, wished that Pat Bolin got in a little bit sooner, obviously, so he could have been alive to see himself get in. I'm not sure why they waited so long to finally make that happen. The longtime Denver Broncos owner, his family thankfully was there to make the acceptance speech and accept the jacket, which I'm glad that they gave because that's been a thing. No jackets and no rings for deceased in years past, which I still don't understand. But for everybody else, shout out to Gil Brandt, obviously, Sirius XM NFL Radio Zone, but Ty Law, of course, Ed Reed, yeah, Champ Bailey, obviously, Tony Gonzalez, as you said, of course. Some of the guys, it was obviously they're going to get in. Now it's just a matter of who they thank. And as you did mention, it's difficult to allot yourself the time to enjoy the whole ceremony just because speeches are going for 20 plus minutes, close to a half hour, and you've got six, seven, eight people that have to speak on top of the introductions and the pomp and circumstances. It's a long night. I don't know if that's something that they might break into two nights. I don't see them doing that unless they're excited about additional income coming in because you'll have one crowd on a Friday, one crowd on a Sunday, and maybe a merger on a Saturday. If they, they want to do, you can buy the two tickets for one price, however they want to go about that, but then there'll be complaints about, well, somebody got in and they should have been with this guy. It, it's, it's just going to be a headache. The bottom line is it's long, and I do appreciate a lot of the messages that the players had to share, some on the world, some on their playing careers, very powerful things. But as you mentioned, it's to the point now where you're sometimes better off just checking the quick blurbs, reading the quick stories, seeing what the main points were, just because it's turned into a lot, unfortunately. Because as you said, it's their moment. You can't take anything away from them. Stand up there for three hours if you want to. You deserve to be in the hall, most people. But it's, it's a lot. Look, th these guys in this sport, obviously, I'm not unlike any other, but I guess I could, you know, we, could, we could make the argument for hockey um, in, in terms of the physicality of the sport. But 
there really is nothing like it. So I'm not going to begrudge a moment of it. As you said, stand up there for as long as you want because you know, you've spent your career literally putting the, your physical well-being on the line to play this game that you love so much. And as a sports fan, for basically my entire life, the greatest, to me, the greatest characteristic of any great athlete, for me, is the passion. You don't always have to show it, the emotion as part of your game, but the passion that you have to play the game. Roger Federer doesn't show us a great deal of passion in his antics, but we know that the passion for his game is unmatched. The love he has for the game of tennis, simply for the fact that he's still playing it at this level, at this age, and works tirelessly to excel at that age, when he should have been long since retired, since the great tennis players before him were long gone and he's still playing at the highest level. That passion is what makes me a sports fan. The games I love. I love to play them when I was younger. I've always loved to watch them. But the passion with which great athletes play their sport, whether it's the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, the NHL, the individual sports, you know, tennis, golf, etc. And you must, to me, to play in the National Football League. You must have great passion for the sport, the love of the game, to go out there and put your physical well-being on the line because every step, your career can end in a blink of an eye. The twist of a knee, a block from behind, a blindside hit, it's all it takes, just one, and your career is over literally in a heartbeat and these guys go out there and they play with heart and soul so if they're fortunate enough both through their skill set and to have the kind of longevity which takes good fortune which takes luck which takes skill which takes you know the, the blessings of whomever you believe in above to be out there long enough and excel long enough to get a chance to go up there and talk and have a bus made of them and put on that all-important jacket. Then you toiled for a long time to get there. You stay up there as long as you want. Absolutely. It's just I'm not going to watch as long as you want me to watch. That's (laughs) my preference. Speaking of passion and the ability to avoid career-threatening injury and pride and love of the game. Oh, folks, he's back! Uh. <laughs> Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report, here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. There's a good point made on our favorite morning show, The Morning Men, on Sirius XM, Mad Dog Sports Radio, of one Tom Brady. And 
if you enjoy having him still playing football at the high level he's playing it at and still able to contend and or win a Super Bowl year in and year out seemingly. I am on the fence on this and I think I have switched to the let's see how far it goes at this point. When he was at five, (laughs) can't even believe we're saying that number. It was kind of like, okay, that's, that's enough. We've had it. Get out, retire, go away. Let somebody else have fun. As a Broncos fan, of course, the rivalry with him and Peyton Manning, glorious especially getting to beat him in the AFC Championship game en route to the Super Bowl, also glorious. We won't mention that, but it happened. So he is beatable sometimes, this Tom Brady. Lost to Nick Foles, Al. Nick Foles. <laughs> but he, the funny thing about Brady, too, and this, this is a long discussion, which we can talk about when he does retire, maybe if our show's still going on in five, six more years. When we look at, say, LeBron James and the championships he did win, but how close they were to going the other way, the same said for Tom Brady's Super Bowls with seemingly the flip of a coin going both in wins and losses in his career. Absolutely. And just how small the margin was for the six victories. He could be 9-0. He could be 0-9. Yeah, it's crazy. There, There were no blowouts. There were no... San Francisco 49ers throwing up 55 points. They were all down to the wire, could have went either way, but seemingly they always go Tom Brady's way. So the question they pose is if you want him in the league or if you want him gone. And I have to say I'm not as angry and on board with the I want him gone as I think I once was. Now, granted, the season hasn't started yet, and he hasn't frustrated me yet. We're in the offseason now. Of course, they're coming off that Super Bowl. But after they won, it was kind of like, geez, you know what? Go out there and win a couple more. Just, just keep making history at this point. Why not? You're so far away from the field. What difference does it make if there's one or two more? I think I'm leaning more toward that, unfortunately, and that's not easy to say, but since Peyton's retired and since the young guns in the NFL aren't quite there yet, it seems like when they get there, say like Patrick Mahomes, if he can for some incredible reason keep up the run that he had last year and sustain that for years to come, I think he'll just miss the being able to have a rivalry with Tom Brady and compete with the Pats. So we might miss the young guys being able to take him down, unfortunately. But I think, sadly, it's the, hey, yeah, play a couple more years. Win a couple more titles. What the hell at this point? You've already got six. And I think that's where it ends. You heard it here, folks. Right here first. No boss for the GOAT. Six will be the number. There will be Mark it down. On this August 5th, 2019, Al from White Plains, a.k.a. Al Renato, of the old report, portion of the new report, old report, uh, has stated once and for all, you can finally take solace in that there will be no more 
championship raising trophies above his head for Tom Brady. The jig is up. They may make the postseason. They may compete. But they will not be Super Bowl champions any longer with Tom Brady at the helm on Bill Belichick's watch. That pair has won their final Super Bowl together. Remember where you heard it. And you can carve it in stone. They simply are not good enough. The roster's not good enough. They're not deep enough on the offensive end. They don't have enough weapons. I know we've heard this before, but I haven't said it before. I'm saying it for the very first time and the very last time on this soapbox, on this program, on this evening, that you will not say Tom Brady win another Super Bowl. Now, one thing that was interesting that you talked about earlier is when you said, you know, there's never been a dominant Super Bowl in which they've been a part of, which is true. The ironic thing is that the most dominant of all Patriot teams lost the Super Bowl. The best Patriot team of all time, clearly looking to finish that perfect season and be the greatest team of all time because of the numbers that were so gaudy that went with that team. Uh, clearly would have put the argument uh, on their side of the ledger over the Dolphin teams because they played more games, they won more games, and they were more dominant. But that loss to the Giants, the champagne corks were popped, the Dolphins continue on as the only undefeated team. Perfect season. And what could have been, what would have been the greatest season in the NFL's history by what would have been the greatest single-season team in NFL history was not. And as a result, their dominant team, their best team, did not win a world championship. So it cannot be their best team of all time because it was not a championship team. The same way the Golden State Warriors when they broke the record for the most wins in the regular season. Could not seal the deal and win the championship. So they could not be the greatest warrior team of all time, let alone the greatest NBA team of all time. You must seal the deal. You must finish it off. They couldn't do it. It was one of the three close Super Bowls that they lost. They've won six close ones. They've all been entertaining. They've all been exciting. What I'm telling you is that you will not see another Super Bowl win for these New England Patriots as we know them with Tom Brady at quarterback. Just wanted to refresh my memory about the Patriots' undefeated season and who they lost to because you would expect a juggernaut, a historic team to take down such a historic team in their own right in the Patriots. No, it was just Eli Manning and the Giants. It beat Brett Favre. I I, I, I believe a nine and seven giant. Yeah, it beat Brett Favre to get no no problem. Some of the some of the things that have happened to the New England Patriots and for the New England Patriots will take centuries to be able to find scientific reasoning for why it happened, and I don't think even that will be enough. When people look back on this era of football and. You just scratch your head. 
is all you can do. Well, it's been it's been such an odd over time. It's been such an unusual mix grouping of players because you've had you know, some some Hall of Fame caliber players on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, one of which just got inducted into the Hall of Fame. There may be others to come who played for the Patriots on the defensive side of the ball. But on the offensive side of the ball, really the, the two most dominant factors are obviously the quarterback, without a doubt, and of all people, not a running back, not a wide receiver, like a Jerry Rice. They had one unbelievable season from a future Hall of Famer in Randy Moss, who had an off-the-charts regular season, catching touchdown after touchdown after touchdown, breaking records left and right. But once again, they couldn't win that game. Who has been the dominant wide receiver for the Patriots? Well, lately, it's, it's been the little white guy, former quarterback. And Julian out. Before that, it was another little white guy. Wes Welker. They've had the Troy Browns uh, of the world. But the most dominant, really, offensive player other than Brady has been Clark. Rob Gronkowski, uh, in all probability, a Hall of Famer, a brilliant tight end, besieged by injuries throughout his career because of the demands of his position and the constant attention that was on him from all aspects of a defense. Linebackers, safeties, uh, smaller defense, smaller defensive ends, Chipping him, cutting him, anything and everything under the sun, back injuries, debilitating knee injuries, you know, suffered against the Browns, the torn ACL, on the ball hit. Really the centerpiece for Brady. Um, he was the key in this playoff run. He was one of the keys in the postseason, uh, excuse me, in, in, the, in the Super Bowl. Uh, the huge catch down the stretch, uh, the huge catches against Kansas City to get there. He will not be there this year, we think anyway, because he retired. Uh, how long will that last? We'll see come halfway through the season. If there's Gronk sightings, we know he's been tougher to see because he's lost a lot of weight. But there hasn't been that collection. That's why, obviously, why every, the, the attention goes to the quarterback always. The attention goes to the head coach. There's been the ability to win all different ways, in all different places, with all different types of rosters, on the defensive side of the ball, but especially on the offensive side of the ball, with different game plans, throwing it down the field, throwing it underneath, using the running backs in the, you know, in, in, in the passing game, making an extension of the running game, uh, you know, whether it's Kevin Falk, uh, you know, Corey Dixon comes over and wins the championship, uh, you know, the big guy from Oregon just becomes, you know, an absolute load in the postseason, you know, and in the Super Bowl. It's just like name that running. You know, name that, name that offensive player. 
that's going to be the complimentary guy for Brady and Gronk. You know, and I guess you can throw in Edelman because he's become you know, really a constant factor as well. But the nine-two guy isn't there. The six-foot-four-inch, you know, two hundred and twenty-pound blue-chip wide receiver has never been there for ten, twelve years. It's been a collection of free agents, a collection of trades, a collection of middling draft picks, a collection of I'll find them, I'll fit them in the Patriot way. That's what they brag about. That's what's worked, along with some questionable tactics. Uh, you know, both pre uh, and during games uh, that have come under fire and subject to major fines from the commissioner. Uh, but the bottom line is they've gotten it done in a team fashion in the sport that requires the greatest teamwork. Because you can't just win with one guy in football, even if that one guy is the quarterback. He needs an offensive line. He needs guys to catch it. He's guys on the other side of the ball to stop the other team from scoring. And Bill Belichick has, received, has seen many, many, many assistants come and go. Very few of whom have had success wherever they've gone at the next level as head coaches. Very few, if any, have had great success as head coaches, either in college or at the NFL level. And now I'm frustrated. Al, <laughs> it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. Folks, remember, that was a one-time, two-week hiatus. We are with you through the dog days of August, the Pennant stretch drive, the beginnings of the NFL and college football. The only place to be is the new old report. He's John Tiny Lund. I am AWP. I'm from White Plains. Real handle. Now we're not. Take care, everybody. We'll be back next Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>